Hey, welcome to the Locker Room Podcast. This is your host, Bruce Slatton, along with uh, our producer, Tim Allen. Uh, we are going to welcome in in just a moment Coach Mike Neighbors from the University of Arkansas. But before we enter the locker room, let's talk about our friends at Dr. Dish Basketball. Dr. Dish has been a proud sponsor of the Locker Room Podcast. They provide the most advanced state-of-the-art shooting machines on the market today with on-demand workouts, multiplayer stat trackers, and instant analytics. Dr. Dish shooting machines have become the preferred machine for players and coaches worldwide. Right now, Dr. Dish is offering Tennessee coaches a minimum $1,000 trade-in for old shooting machines, no matter what brand, plus an extra $300 off the purchase of a new Dr. Dish machine. Be sure to check out all the Dr. Dish products at drdishbasketball.com or on Twitter at drdishbball. Dr. Dish, proud sponsor of the Locker Room Podcast. Coaches, your locker room needs BSN Sports. BSN offers a huge selection of products to meet your apparel and equipment needs all season long. See your local BSN rep or go to bsnsports.com. BSN Sports, official sponsor of the Locker Room Podcast. Now we're going to bring in to the locker room Coach Mike da Mike Neighbors from Arkansas. Coach, how's everything over in Fayetteville tonight? It's going pretty good. We had a nice little cool day, and uh, everything's good. And I'm somewhat of a, a retired shooting machine. You're telling me I can get $300 in, in trading? I might come down there and take them up on that deal. I, yeah, that you know, like good, I know how – Hey, I know how well you like to shoot the ball, and yeah. uh, I know how well your teams like to shoot the ball. I, I'm going to assume that you guys go through shooting machines uh, like we do uh, fast food over here. Yeah, there's uh, there's been a few have to replacements, a few tweaks that have had to be uh, put out down there. I tell you what, we wear out is balls. You know, those things are pretty tough <laughs> on the ball. So, got to have a pretty good supply of uh, ball. We have a, a set of uh, gun balls and a set of non-gun balls. So. You gotta have a good set of good, good extra set of those sitting around. Oh, absolutely! I guarantee it. So, uh, so, so let's get into uh, uh, Mike Neighbors, the coach here. You know, uh, I know you coached high school girls basketball. And that's where you got your start over at Bentonville High School, and uh, you know, maybe what are some of the things you took from high school coaching that um, that you still have with you today as the head women's coach at Arkansas? Well, just that. You know, they're, they're emerging young people. And no matter, you know, whether they're a, a ninth grader, a freshman in high school or a freshman in college, there, there's a, a long journey ahead for them. And, and we, we tend to try to rush them into things. So I, I hope I can still carry that. Uh, that is, the journey is not done by the time I get them as a freshman in college. A little bit older, but not nearly far, as far down the path. Uh, maybe it's when we were older. You know, when we were at that age, adolescence, they've pretty pr much proven started later. So um, mm -hmm. a lot of those same type deals, the, just the importance of you know, making sure they know how much you care about them. That, that still rings true. I don't think age or uh, level of play changes that or, or level of competition, whether you're riding a bus or flying on an airplane or whatever means of travel that have changed. The game is still very similar. Uh, the kids I have found in, in the places I've coached are – General, general, generally pleasers. They yeah. want to please their coaches. I don't, I don't think that has changed through all these different millennials and pandemic population, all the different generations that we've coached now over the last going on 30 years for me. The one thing that has stayed pretty true is that uh, the kids that come out to play basketball are, are, are generally pleasers. They want to please their coaches. They want to please their teammates. And 
Um, I hope we continue to carry that even into our, you know, big matchups that are televised as opposed to games that might have not had anybody at them at, you know, 430 tip off at Bentville versus Russellville, JV girls uh, in the back gym. Uh, and, and I hope still, I hope my players would tell you that I, I approach every single game with the same competitive nature that uh, I do, whether there's a SEC championship on the line or a, you know, a 11th place game at the uh, Cedarville Classic, where my high school team went one in 24 my first year, Bruce. And yeah. that game was for the 11th place trophy at Cedarville. That's why I mentioned that one specifically. Oh, wow. And, and uh, they shot in at the end of the third quarter to win it because nobody scored in the fourth quarter. <laughs> and that's uh that's interesting man so uh so you you can you can officially say that you won the 11th place trophy correct got it yeah uh, yeah it's in a trophy case somewhere at Bentonville high school probably <laughs> way in the back by the time they won a bunch of championships since then but uh yeah, yeah that, that trophy may be hard to find yeah well that, that hey that's a great story because uh you know uh at least you got the one win to get that monkey off your back yeah I think the story would have been better if we'd probably missed that shot and gone 0 25. But, you know, I don't, I look back at it, I'm glad that group of kids got to experience the thrill of victory once that first year. And, um, you know, there was a lot of valuable lessons learned during that uh, for me. And I, I talked to some of those players still. That one, that one win did a lot for our, uh, did a lot for what we did in the future. It was kind of the, uh, kind of the springboard that got us going there. And, and I was hooked on girls' basketball from the second I started coaching it. Um, I, I loved uh, just the way that uh, how coachable our, our student athletes were and sure. they gave you Christmas presents. You know, that was one thing I learned about going from girls to boys. Girls give you Christmas presents. Boys never do. So uh, <laughs> that was a fun first year. I still talk to some of those kids and uh, yeah. lots of memories, even though there, there weren't many wins. You know, what, what's uh, what's a couple of lessons that you learned in that season, uh, you know, that, that still that you take with you all the time? Scoreboard, you know, scoreboard doesn't ever tell it all. Uh, there were there were a number of nights that we lost by seventy or eighty points, uh, uh, and it, that didn't tell the story of of how we felt like we were improving throughout the year. Some of the those some of those kids, the kids that were freshmen on that team, ended up playing for a state championship. Yeah, uh, as seniors, we we got it turned around. So I carry that with them. And then what I went back to, you know, kids they don't care how much you know about basketball if you don't care about them and you don't have, you know, their best interest uh, off the floor and in their lives, uh, the sport sport isn't, doesn't make up for all those things. And if you do have that mentality, then you better win every game you ever play. Yeah. And that's just too much pressure on me. If, if you're going to coach that way, then you've got to win every game. You got to win about every championship or it's, you know, I, I can't, I can't, I can't function that way. I don't know very many people that can. There's a few out there I know that can. Um, I don't understand them, uh, but I, I applaud them in their in their quest to be perfect. I, I just know how imperfect I am going to be. So carry that with it. Just care about those kids. Get get birth announcements. Get invitations to weddings. Um, you know, those are the paychecks that when you get my age, our age, those things go a whole lot further than than that eleventh place trophy or. Or oh, a first place trophy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's that's just the relationships that you build, and and uh, you know, and that's that's uh, you know, I get those wedding invitations and stuff uh, going to one this weekend. So uh, there you so go. Know, know you know all about that. So so you had uh, after you uh, coached high school, 
you got into the college ranks and you, you made four or five stops as an assistant coach. So tell us uh, maybe some things that you learned from the guys and, and women that you worked for uh, in those, in those stops that, uh, you know, just helped to develop your philosophy that you have today. Well, I think the most important thing is sticking around is, is do whatever you're asked to do and, and then be the best at whatever that is. Uh, when I made the, when I made the jump from, from being a high school coach, I was in charge of, you know, every aspect of our program at a high school with two junior highs, a JV and a, a sophomore team. I was, you know, in charge of my schedule. I was in charge of everybody's style of play. And then I went back to being Coach Blair's diet coat guy. That was my first duty. Uh, as you know, you talk about an ego blow from being in charge of a really, so, I mean, Hey, what, what do you want me to do? Well, one thing for sure, we gotta make sure you get coach Blair's diet Coke, right? And I thought, Oh, okay. Well, uh, that's not what I thought this was going to be about, but let's do the best we can at it. So I I went to him and I said, Hey, do you like your ice crushed or do you like cubed? Or he said, well, I really like that Sonic ice. I said, great. Perfect. Do Do you prefer your not coke to come out of a can or do you like it out of a bottle? Do you like it out of a fountain? He said, well, you know, really, if it's in a cold can, pour it onto that ice, man, it's perfect. So that's what I, that's what I strove for. I would go get Sonic ice and I'd put it in our um, athletic department cooler and on the road, I'd make a trip to go try to find where the Sonic was at. And uh, if it was a Pepsi school, I'd find a way to sneak his Diet Coke in there. And uh, then I got to do some, then I got to do some equipment Then I got to do some pass lists. Then then Vic Schaefer invited me over to sit on his couch and Kelly Bond invited me to sit in her recruiting meetings and just pick up a broom. You know, that's what I, I, I tell anybody, pick up that broom, your first job, you're going to be a janitor. You're going to be a bus driver. You're going to be a psychologist. You're going to be a bookkeeper. You're going to be an accountant. It all is all part of it. Yeah. And if, if you're afraid to pick that broom up or sweep that bus out, then uh, you're not going to be able to do the big jobs, you know, when the time yeah. comes, the big decisions, when you have to decide who you're going to recruit or who you're going to hire. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I learned every step of the way, become indispensable. That, that was what happened. I, you know, Vic uh, and I, we talk about this openly. Our relationship started out really kind of icy because he wanted coach Blair to hire somebody else in that spot. And mm-hmm. uh, when he hired me, Vic was just very standoffish and it, it took about two months before I did anything that was allowed me to get into Vic's office, but then I, I proved myself that I could break down some film for him and I could, could help his day out. I could take some things off his desk and I got, I got invited over to his office a few more times. Same thing with Kelly, although she was a lot more welcoming. She was more like a mother to me, uh, mother hen sister, I would say not mother <laughs> who was the same age, but she really took care of me. So different, different ways. You gotta, you gotta earn that. You can't just be given a title. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I say it in some speeches now, if, you know, your, your title is, is not a very good indicator of what your job is. So mm-hmm. pick up a broom, uh, sweep the bus out, uh, drive coach Blair, get his diet coat, drive him across, t- across the country, whatever it takes, you do whatever you can do. And, and eventually I, I think we all know that, you know, as, as we go into this thing, we, we start out uh, overworked and underpaid. And mm-hmm. if you do it right, you usually end up on the other side of that. You, you're looking around for stuff to do and, and you can't yeah. believe they, they give you a paycheck because you're doing what you love. Well, and and I've heard, um, you know, I've heard Coach uh, Coach Izzo at Michigan State. You know, he's he's always talked about the uh, the process. Uh, you know, kids t- today and and people today want to skip the process. You know, and and that's part of the process of developing your, you know, number one, your coaching philosophy and moving up the ladder. And you know, you got to do some things you may not want to do, but you got to try to do them the best you possibly can. Yeah, make yourself indispensable to your to the people, and then protect them. 
you know, that's the other thing I would tell anybody seeking advice as a young assistant, you know, protect your head coach, make your head coach, um, look like a, a rock star, uh, take the bullets. You, you, you're the one that can, uh, uh it's your responsibility to, to take care of your head coach. And, um, you know, I, I hear people on the road, bad mouth and talking about how, you know, they don't like what they're doing. They, they're, 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 they sure would like an opportunity to move on and do something that, but that's just not the way to do it. You, you, you should put off the air that your head coach is the absolute best there is out there and do everything you can. Then if there's problems, you address that with the head coach, but you don't go around saying those things, um, you know, at, uh, at the coffee shop, I guess you, you've got to put out there that, that this is your part of this. Otherwise to me, you're just as guilty as, uh, as anybody when those things are going on. Yeah. And, and, uh, well, you know, and, and, you know, people think, think about their next job before they're, they've done their first job, you know, sometimes. Yeah. And, you and know, I, I tell this story, I, Bruce, I'm a, I'm O for 122 in jobs I've applied for. <laughs> I never, never got one single job. I, I had to send a resume in or an application mm-hmm. uh, it took me a long time. I tried to get a lot of college jobs. I still keep all the Back in the day, most of these people listening may not know, but back in the day when you applied for a job at a high school or a college, they had to send you a letter that said you didn't get it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was an HR type deal. So I kept all 122 of those are in a binder. And uh, anytime I start feeling too good about myself, I just take a look at those 122 yeah. people yeah. That, uh, that, that said, I, I got a couple of them said, you're a great high school coach, you'll, you, but you don't have what it takes to be a college coach. You, I had that in there. That drove me for a while. But no, it's – if if you're if you're constantly out there looking for the next one, you're probably not very good at the one you're doing. I, yep. That's a, another common uh, papa neighbors line. Y'all have heard me talk about my papa neighbors at different stages, but he used to he used to tell us all if if you have to run around telling everybody how good you are, you're mm-hmm. probably not very good. Yeah, uh, you know yeah. you're in this world of social media. If, if if you look at somebody's social media page and it's a you know, those humble brags, we all know what humble brags look like. If that's all that is there, you know, then you're probably not as good as you probably think those yeah. brags are making you look. So, yeah, you know, so, uh, you know, if somebody asks you, then, uh, then tell you what you think, but, uh, yeah. you know, don't offer that, you know, no. uh, but, you know, I've heard you say before, you know, about, about those, you know, as an assistant, you know, you, you be a, you be a head coach at whatever they ask you to do. You know, and, and if it's run the camps, you run that as the head coach and, and that's your baby, you know, and then you can move on to other things. And, you know, I think that's, I think that's extremely important for people to understand. It is. And I, you know, I think you can do all those things. I kept a notebook of, you know, the things that, that coach Blair did and coach McGuff and coach Gardner and coach McConnell, everybody that I've worked for yeah. things that they did that I probably, I wanted, I would have done differently because of my personality. And I, I had those things ready yeah. for when I got that job. And it's incredibly scary how when it is your job and now those suggestions become decisions, mm-hmm. uh, you weigh through those things a little bit more. Yeah. You're going to be responsible and a lot of lives are affected by them. It's, it, it's easy to make suggestions. It's hard to make decisions. So, but yeah. I did, I, I kept notebooks along the way of if, if I do get to be a head coach at some point, I, I, I would like to try to do it this way. Yeah. And it's not saying anybody else's was the wrong way. It just was different than what I wanted to do. So it was always interesting when I got ready to pull that pad out and implement one of them. Uh, when, when you are have head coach at the end of that, you, you reproach things a little different. You want to make sure you've got the best information, uh, the best forms of that information, and, and you're not missing anything. Yeah. Uh, 
because that decision does come back on you and, and then it affects everybody that's put their trust in you. Yeah, and uh, absolutely. Well, uh, let's let's get into some basketball stuff here, some real basketball stuff. So yeah. the, the green light shooting. Yeah. Uh, I love, you know, you, you spoke, I've seen you speak on the green light <laughs> shooting. So tell us where you kind of developed that philosophy. Uh, and, and, you know, you do your shooting drills and everything that you do, you've got great shooters. Uh, you want them to shoot. You entice them to shoot. And, and you know, your offense is uh, always outstanding. So tell us a little bit about how you develop that and, and kind of what you do with that. Well, it's one of those things that was on that list as an assistant coach. I, I would I would watch practices, and I got a chance to, you know, didn't plan very many of them as an assistant. But we <laughs> would talk about being good shooting teams, but we didn't shoot a lot in practice. Yeah. We, we never – I looked, we, you know, I, I started kind of charting, like, one practice our best shooter shot 13 times, 19, 20, 21. I'm, like, thinking, or do we expect them to really be a good game shooter if we're not practicing it? So, that was one thing I, I stowed away there. And then the other part, I, I started looking at some of the teams that I was part of, and it just didn't seem like our best shooters were taking the most shots. Mm-hmm. And, and that seemed kind of backwards to me. So – I wanted to make sure that when uh, when I was a head coach that our, our best shooters took the most shots and our, our worst shooters had the best percentages. Yeah. To me, that meant that I had done a good job and my staff had done a good job of explaining to the kids shot selection. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think offense is equal opportunity. I don't think everybody should shoot it the same. Um, I think you've got to reward your top three or four shooters. Mm-hmm. So – when it really came out was when I got to be the head coach and I, it, I we had Kelsey Plum coming in. Mm-hmm. I think anybody that's followed women's basketball, she just got named uh, sixth man of the year in the WNBA. She won a gold medal this summer with the uh, three on three. And she, she's had a really, really good year. She's the all time leading scorer in the history of women's basketball, college basketball, took us to the final four, all, all those accolades that she racked up. She was coming in as a freshman. And at the same time, I had a kid who was a, a junior who was on path to become our school's all-time leading scorer and would become eventually. Mm-hmm. So I knew the coexistence of those two kids was going to be a challenge. How, how was I going to explain to a well-established two-time All-Pac-12 player that we had a freshman coming in that was going to get more set plays, more inbounds actions, more, you know, more, mm-hmm. more opportunities to drive it than what she had? In theory, you know, I didn't know for sure, but in theory, she was going to get as much or as many. So I decided that we were just going to come up with a set of shooting drills that I've been using for a number of years. And let's go head to head. Let's put everybody in this category. Anybody that thinks they are going to be called upon to be a shooter or a scorer on our team this year, then you need to get in the gym and you need to do this variety of drills. Some of them are catch and shoot. Some of them are at speed. Some of them are a combination. But through these drills, I wanted to be able to determine which players on our team should have a green light and which should have a yellow light and who's a red light. Mm. So that's what started when they, when Kelsey first hit campus, Hey, go head to head. And this returner had her work cut out for, her, but she showed up every day and they went toe to toe and a, a third came along with her and a fourth. And we had four kids really trying to become a green light shooter because they all wanted to be in that boat. Yeah. Um, and most weeks we had three or four kids that, when they got it, they uh, they should feel good about it. And let it go. Yeah. Had another group of kids that started out coming in, and then they quickly quick quickly realized they had no chance of achieving the right time or the right score on these drills. 
And instead of like just, you know, sewing up and quitting there, like, hey, coach, listen, I, I get it. I see what you're doing here. I can't reach those times or those scores. So what can I do to be a yellow light shooter? Mm-hmm. I said, keep coming, keep trying, and, and we'll have conversations about all your shots. Yep. And if I, if I don't feel like there's a good one, we'll have a conversation about it. My red light shooters were kids that stopped coming in. They just gave up and said, I can't do it. What can yeah. I do? Can I rebound? Can I defend? Can I shoot layups? Can I take shots I think I can make? Absolutely. Mm. Um, and, and what started happening was my red lights were looking for my green lights and my yellow lights were looking for the green lights. And if the shot came a yellow lights way that they felt like they could make, they were confident in taking it. Yeah. And what I, what we went from was having a few, a few kids confident in shooting to a whole team of kids confident in their roles. And it was very easy to explain to everybody. It was just clear cut. Here it is. I don't know what to tell you. This is Kelsey Plum and you are on her team. And as long as she's shooting it at this pace, don't y'all think we need to try to get her 30 shots a night? If y'all want to win. And when we got to that point, that was when we went to the final four because our, our shot distribution and our shot selection was so good. We ended up scoring like 1.29 points per game per, per possession that year, wow. which is just an incredible efficiency number yeah, absolutely. Uh, because we were taking good shots. Yeah. Well, they got everybody taking good shots and, 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 and that's a good way to define roles without you having to define them. You know, they, they actually defined them you know, for you. Right. Uh, and, and if they're coming to you saying, Hey, what can I do? Cause I'm not going to, I'm not going to be a, a yellow light. I'm not going to be a green light. Yeah. Uh, I can't get yeah. there. And self-awareness. We, I mean, that's one gift. If we could give each other, if I could give that, that trait to somebody, it'd be self-awareness, yeah. understand who you are and, We've got, we've got a sign right down there, but right when you walk into our practice gym about, you know, you, you wouldn't ever hire a, you wouldn't hire a goldfish to climb a tree. You'd go hire a squirrel, you know? <laughs> so be a, know your role, know what you're good at. Then you as a coach on the backside of that, you know, I had to find ways to reward our screen setters and our red lights and our yellow lights. Yeah. And we did. Um, and to me, that's, that's the best way to have uh, to, to handle your offense. Cause everybody wants to shoot it and everybody wants to play. Yeah. So to me, that this answers those two things. It takes love out of the equation. I can love them all the same. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can treat them fairly without having to treat them equally on offense. And and I think when you have that conversation with your kids, and like you said, you've put it on them, then then it's a lot easier to have you know crucial conversations and crucial confrontations when some sometimes parents don't understand, and you show them these numbers, and there's not really much argument to be had. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and and then the other part of that is, you know, you establish leadership that way because everybody leads in their own particular role. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's pretty smart. So, uh, well, you know, I, I'm not sure I knew that at the time when we were putting it together. Uh, <laughs> but over the years, uh, it's become something that we've we've kept really um, diligent about making sure our, our kids understand where they fall True. and how they can get to become a green light shooter. If, if they I, you know, I've morphed it over the years. It used to be had something you earned in practice, but I, hey, I've got a, I've got a couple kids that don't have to come in the gym all the time and can step in there in a game and are clutch and can shoot and perform. Those kids can earn their green lights that way in live competition. So uh, we've changed it a little bit over the years, but the the, the pieces go all the way back to 2014 and uh, when we first had Kelsey stepping on campus and um, you know, obviously having a kid like that helped it work. You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a really talented player, but 
believe me, there were days, there were days that kid, um, you know, had, had to earn that. And I think that protects her in the locker room. I think it protects your best shooters. They don't ever get called a ball hog. Cause all they ever have to do is say, I'm all I'm doing is what coach is asking me to do. Yeah, absolutely. They mm-hmm. don't, they don't ever have to appear. Hey, I, I, I'm going out and doing this. I'm putting this time in. And if you do that the right way and you do it enough, you will see those other players on the team. Um, and I hate to use the word surrender, but that's really what it is. They surrender their selflessness to the team when they realize that it's better for this kid to be taking X number of shots and me setting that, that, that player up for success. Yeah. And, uh, so, uh, so as you, you develop the green light shooting now, let's talk about the race to space transition. All right. So I know, um, I, I know what it means, but how would you describe it? Well, we, we, we call it being functionally fast. Um, <laughs> that's, that's the term we really want to drill it down to. We only play as fast as we can go before we start turning it over or taking bad shots. Uh, if, if bad shots come or turnovers come, then the pace really, really slows down. So the race, the race part of it is the, the first thing everybody's responsibility is, is to race. Um, we all grow up as kids. Hey, let's race. Hey, let's race. Let's race. Let's race. Let's race. Well, we took it from that. Like as soon as we get the ball, I've got five players that I want to look like the fastest sprinters on the earth, taking off, sprinting to the other end of the floor to beat their matchups down the floor. And, you know, the rule, the standard that we have in place is that if, if you're, if you don't sprint two times in a row, then I assume you're tired or you're disengaged. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's grounds for being taken out of the game. And um, we tell coaches to lock, watch for that early in the year. I tell players to watch for it. Hey, mm-hmm. You know, that player that's in the game ahead of you, if you catch her two times in a row loafing, you just go check in for her. Yeah. And and when you do that early in the year, they hold themselves to a really high standard. Our kids all know how long we time them. It's like they're 40 time. A football player, every football player in the world knows they're 40 time. Okay. If you ask my kid the rack, their racker time, they can tell you, hey, yeah. what's your lock time? Hey, what's your dragon time? Hey, what's your rabbit time? They all know, and we do too. And if you don't make that time two times in a row, then, then you're loafing. So that – that race sets it up. That's the, you know, trying to attack the rim relentlessly, which is for us why we get a lot of half court and full court layups and we get to the foul line a lot. And then the space, I think we all know offense is all about spacing. Yeah. I, don't, I don't care what, what you want to call it, how many passes you care to make. Uh, if you don't have great, every, every single offensive team that's great has great floor spacing. Mm-hmm. So I just want to make sure those were the first two words out of our mouth. You know, when we get the ball, we're racing and we're spacing. And then it's up to, to us as coaches to give them the techniques and the tactics to make any type of defense wrong. But I do think, I do believe that <clears throat> one against an unset transition defense yeah. is the best way to attack the basket. So we try to do it, make or miss. We try to be in transition and we try to do it as fast or faster than anybody out there. And well, you guys are you're pretty good at it. So uh, you know, you how how did you guys approach last year? I mean, it was such a screwed up year. Yeah. Uh, you know, how, I mean, that had to be tough on not only you guys as coaches, but but your you know your players, uh, fans, everything. So you know, talk about uh, you know some of the adjustments you had to make. Well, the first thing that we learned is that information was key. You know, in, in the absence of information about the virus, about what was going on, about a schedule, 
about it just caused uncertainty you know in the absence of information most of our minds go to the negative place and mm-hmm. that's because of the way that that our our brains are we just do that that's what we do as human beings as as a species so we tried to make sure everybody was as informed as possible we over communicated uh, we did it in text messages we did it with zooms we did it with check-ins did it with handwritten notes uh, everything you could do other than what we were used to and then once we got the word that we were going to be able to play we sat down with our our key players our leaders our kids that have been there uh, as well as administration and said what is the number one thing and everything that came out was our kids just wanted to play they wanted to do whatever it took to not be told they can't play so with that as our overarching uh, you know driving force we made all kinds of concessions we traveled the day of a game we didn't go to a hotel. We didn't go to an airport. We didn't go out and eat. We practiced at our place. We got up fed at our place. We got on an airplane that we flew together on. We got on a bus that we rode together on. We went straight to the gym. We played. We went home. That was hard. That was yeah. un- no. Not every not every team in America did that. We did it because we had the goal to not miss a game because of COVID. Yeah. Uh, we did away with team you know, coming over to the house. We didn't do that. That was hard because our kids love to do that. That was hard on me because I love to do that. Um, but every fil- every decision, the last filter that it went through was, is this going to give us a chance to play the game? And yeah. going into the NCAA tournament, we played every game possible. Plus, we added a couple when we got dropped. You yeah. know, when Vanderbilt dropped their season, we added UConn. Um, and our players, that was the one thing that drove us all year long. Coach, we want to play. We want to play. Does that mean we practice this? We don't have this. Whatever it takes to play. Yeah. And I was so proud of our kids. We wanted the season to end differently. We wanted to go deeper in the tournament. But I couldn't have been more proud. We reached every single standard and every goal that we set as a result of those standards. Because we did play. We did do it healthy. We didn't have anybody hospitalized. We didn't have anybody even you know, have to be more than a few days out being sick. Uh, we got through it safely. We got through it sanely. We didn't have anybody, you know, that, that had major issues with being isolated. We did those two things, the mental well-being and the physical well-being of our student athletes was taken care of. And we went to the NCAA tournament and, and we did it uh, in a way we had some great wins throughout the year. So it'll always have an asterisk beside it because it'll, you know, all of our, all the pictures, I'm looking at a picture on my wall right now from when we beat Baylor and UConn. You know, they're going to say, why were you wearing a mask? You know, 25, 30 years from now, they're going to go, what's going on here? Yeah, yeah. You have to explain it to people. You know, it, it'll be forgotten about, but it won't be very hard to remember well, what, you know, what happened here in 2021 but by looking at pictures. Well, you know, and, and, and to me, what's so tough about all that, to have the season you had, um, you know, you, you know, you didn't get those times off the court in travel and in meals that you build that camaraderie and, and stuff. So basically you just went to the gym, you went to the games and you went home, you know, and, and that's tough, man. I'm telling you, cause uh, you know, 90 to me, 90% of being a team is off the court, you know, in the things uh, that you do as a team with the coaches, with the players, with the managers, with everybody involved in the program. And when you don't have that, you know, yep. it's, uh, or, or if you have it, you, you've got mass on, you know, and stuff. Uh, it, it, uh, it was a challenge. I think it, it was the one thing that I would tell you 
and, and we've talked about this as a group. It was the first time though, for all of us that we all were operating under the same set of rules. Yeah. Yeah. We, we all had to wear the mask. We all had, uh, we, we, even if you had anybody that had a lot of money, wasn't treated different than people that didn't have any money. Yeah. We yeah. all were the same. We all had to be inside. So what did you do with your time during that? How did you connect to those kids? How did you keep them informed? That to me really brought people. I think it brought people together. It tore them apart. Yeah. I think if you look back and there's, there's lots of evidence out there of it across uh, the society, it, it really built some people up and it really tore some people apart. And that was what was so difficult. The circumstances changed. It was a complex situation of, of ever changing variables. Yeah. Um, but I do think we'll all, I, I mean, I just hope that we'll all be better for it. 10, 15 years down the line, when we learn what we, when we take what we learn from that and stay in contact and keep giving information and, uh, and be kind and have some tolerance and understanding that everybody's in a different situation. Yeah. And, and when we're put together, we've got to have some of that tolerance for each other uh, yeah. to get through this thing. And I, I think as, as hard as it was, I think 10 years from now, we'll look back on it and some of these kids um, we'll have really learned a valuable life lesson that they'll take on for our next couple of generations. So. No, I think you're right. And, uh, well, let, let's, uh, ask you this and, and, uh, you know, you, you're about two weeks into official practice. What are some of the things that you, you feel like that, um, are important right now that you've accomplished over the last couple of weeks? Now I know you've been practicing pretty much all summer, at various, you know, I know you get your hours and yeah. stuff, but you get to spend a little more time now. So yeah. what are, what are some of the things you've, you've really tried to accomplish the last couple of weeks and, and, and then maybe lead into the, you know, leading up to the first game or the next two or three yeah. game weeks. Well, I think every team, you know, has to identify, it goes back to Pete Carrill at, at, at Princeton. He used to say, be good at the things you do a lot. Yeah. First. So, you know, like for us, we, we, we transition a lot. So we've got to be really good at that. And when we do that, we got to also be very good in transition defense because we're in that situation an awful lot. So, you know, I, I think we're getting there. Transition defense is, I think, the hardest thing in the world to simulate, to teach, to drill, to build on. It's got to be an everyday 15 to 30-minute um, commitment to make sure your kids get used to all the different uh, language, the words that you're going to use, the, the, the ways that you're going to talk so fast to get people on assignment and get the ball where you go in the way you want to defensively. Then offensively, we really want to stress people out who have not been working on that as much as they should have. You know, <laughs> early in the year, there's going to be turnovers. There's going to be missed shots. True. And there's not very many people that shoot 50% in their games, in close games. They may have some, you know, blowout games. But if you look at most of the close games early in the year, there's you're in transition offense and defense a whole lot more than you are the half court. So we want to make sure those areas are checked, you know, in, 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 in bold italic, uh, italics highlighted. We've got to be good at that before we start worrying about having a, an inbounds play. We don't have an inbounds play in right now. If we played tomorrow, we'd have to take time out and draw something up. We, we are going to focus on the things we do a lot. Closeouts on defense. You do that. You know, you, you do that sometimes 15, 20 times a possession. Oh yeah, absolutely. So you, you better have your terminology, what we call our language, the words we use. Yep. Um, we've got a lot of newcomers this year. 
You know, we've got seven new faces uh, and two players who were here but didn't play a lot. So we've got a, uh, literally things that come out of our mouths the first time some of these kids have been hearing it in our in our language. So even though they know the game, if if you know they don't understand the words coming out of our mouth, it's foreign to them. So yeah. I, I am very big on making sure that we've got those things taken care of before we start adding. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a result, I will tell you that we've probably lost a game or two every year early in the year that people might not think we should have. And I'm okay with that as long as, you know, we win a few along the way that people also think we shouldn't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because that, that to me, you've got to – Buzz Williams tells a great story. He didn't make it up, but he tells it better than anybody I know. He, talk, he talks about trajectory. And if – if you're sitting on the face of the earth, if you're down at Cape Canaveral or, you know, where they launch uh, uh, rockets into space from, if you're, if you're shooting to go to the moon and you start off one degree off from mm-hmm. Florida, by the, you miss the moon by a million miles yeah, because it, you, you're, you start off on the wrong trajectory. Yeah. And that that talk he gave, it, it haunts me and it, it drives me. I worry every single day that we're off on the wrong trajectory. Uh oh, did we just get off? You've got time to correct it. There's a lot of time between here and the moon that you can correct it. But man, if you get started off on the wrong trajectory and you don't don't get that fixed, there's no way to get it back toward your target. Yeah, and and the thing is, is, is you know, as you go along through the season. You know, you can get off that trajectory real quick. Yeah. You, know, you see teams all the time uh, that, that that start out. You know, they're they're gangbusters. They're playing well, and then something happens. You know, and you don't know. And and what amazes me is is the number of times that happens that coaches can't get their finger on it and figure out what's what's driving it. I've been there. I've had teams like that. Um, I, I had a team we had no idea what was wrong, so I just walked in and. The, the locker room one day and I said, don't come to practice till y'all get y'all's issues figured out. I'm tired of dealing. I went off. I went completely. <laughs> if anybody watches Ted Lasso, I went lead tasso on him. Uh, <laughs> I went completely opposite of what Mike neighbors would know. I went Mike neighbors on him. And I said, I started yelling and screaming. I'm tired of dealing with this. I was, I'm sick of hearing about all this and y'all just work it out and don't come to practice till you're ready. Yeah. And we walked upstairs. My assistants looked at me like, what's going on? I said, I don't have any idea, but surely they'll figure something out. <laughs> and, about 45 minutes later, they came out and they got yeah, coach. We're good. And we went on about a 12 game win streak. I still, to this day, don't know what they talked about, um, but they talked about something. And, you know, I, I don't think you always have to know. I just think as a coach, you need to be able to diagnose that your team is off, that something yeah. is off. You don't do not set yourself up to have to have all the answers to that, man. That's impossible. So count on your team, count on the people that are around it. But yeah, you're, you're spot on. If you get off on the wrong trajectory, and that's what I hope we are. I hope we're doing the right things early. Uh, that'll give us a chance when when adversity does set in. But uh, you know, we're off trying to take care of those things, and we're you know we we break the season up in segments, and, and we're at the end of this week, we'll be into prep mode. We, we right now said next by next Monday when we step into that gym, we we're gonna have to start putting some inbounds plays in and a yeah. and a and a, a inbounds defense, and what happens if this. We got to start answering some of those what if questions right now. I don't let kids ask what if. Uh, yeah. Can't ask that yet because we're not we're not got everything covered, but we're getting close to to needing to be able to do that. Well, talk uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, leading up to you know the game day. Okay, yeah. just any game. You know, it could be uh, you know 
Tennessee in the SEC tournament. It could be, uh, you know, Mississippi State during the you know middle of the SEC schedule. Yep. But but what what do you guys do? You know, leading up to those games, maybe two days out, one day out, and then game day. That's what we call them. We call it the number of day preps out. You know, it's one day, it's two day prep. Um, I, I think it's really important that your your process is the same. It's okay if you emphasize games differently. You know, I hear coaches all the time saying, oh, this game's no different than any other. I think that's a little naive sometimes. I think kids are too in tuned. They know the difference. And, and you know, going back to my pawpaw neighbors, you can't fool kids and you can't fool dogs. So stop <laughs> trying to fool these kids and, and try to make, a, a, you know, a game that you've probably paid a team to come in and play. Make You can't compare that to UConn. I, 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 and keep your credibility. And you yeah. can say our preparation needs to be the same, our focus needs to be the same, but I, I think saying that all games are the same and treating every game the same, you can set you up for some failure. So uh, we try to have that awareness of, of where our kids are at in their preparation. Um, I like to have everything done the day before we play because I hate shoot-arounds. Mm -hmm. We've stopped doing traditional come-in and everybody come in together and, and talk again as a team and do your walkthroughs. We've gotten away from that. We, we try to have everything done prior to that day so kids can focus on the day. They can focus on their routine that gets them best ready to play. Mm -hmm. If they want to come shoot, we've got that opportunity for them. If they want to sleep in, they've got that opportunity. If they want to take a nap a little bit longer, uh, we, we make it very, very flexible uh, mm -hmm. because it is, it is a personal thing, even though it is a team game. I want them to do whatever makes them best ready to play. And if a kid shows up not ready to play, then we, we change their routine a little bit. Uh, yeah. and, and they do that. They know, hey, I'm I'm not as rested or I'm hungry or uh, uh, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm too tired. So we let every kid handle that. But two days out, we're always focused on us. The day out, we're working on our opponent. I'm very big on – I do want us to worry about ourselves, but we do have to prepare some for the others. We'll try to identify the other team's three or, three or four best actions, no more than that. I'm not going to go through their whole playbook and this what if and what if this and what if that. I want my coaches to know that. I need to know that. But I just need them to know enough to go out there and be able to play without having to think. Yeah. Uh, and that's always the greatest compliment I can I, – I listen for it, you know, on our, our game broadcast when, when all the SEC people or ESPN people come in. I listen attentively to hear them say, they seem to be flowing freely or they seem to be moving confidently or the ball, you know, is not sticking. All of those things are, are indicators to me that other people are looking and seeing. I'm very critical and our coaches are very critical of what we do because our expectations are so high, but uh, I, I want to make sure our kids are peaked and we play our best at game time. Uh, we peel practices back, you know, it's pretty much common. I've talked about a lot of different places on the way that we approach practice and preparation. Um, it's different and I'm okay with that because our kids believe in it. And I think at the end of the year, we usually end up with a really healthy, happy team. Uh, mm -hmm. and those to me are the teams that have a chance. They don't always win. I mean, we didn't win the NCAA tournament last year. So, you know, it, it'd be hard to say what we did was perfectly right, but I think we did what was best for us. Um, and we end up healthy, happy and giving ourselves a chance, uh, when it's most important. Sure. And, uh, well, that's that's all you can do, and you know I, I think you you had a good point. You know, letting them flow freely. You know, sometimes we over, uh, you know, over informal as coaches. You know, I probably did that 
75, 80% of the time, you know, and, and uh, yeah. you know, but you, you paralyze them, you know, what is it? Paralysis by analysis. analysis. Yeah. That, whoever, whoever said that was, was accurate because it, uh, you see them thinking and it's usually, you know, that's, that's why we try to simplify things. I, I have a hard time expecting a kid to read pop girl flare even off of a downstream. So do one thing and let me read that. And if that doesn't happen, then I'll do the next thing. And it's more of a continuous, it's a cycle of things. It's, yeah. it goes in order. It's chronological and, but it, it's not forcing me. And as a result, I think that's why we don't turn it over very often. Our, our kids are, we don't put them uh, in, in a situation where they have to make uh, decisions repeatedly over and over and over. It is a simple read of, is this open? If not, then this, then this, then this, then this. And, you know, by then the shot clock's winding down, and then we have a plan for that. But uh, I hope it looks simple. That's another compliment I get. Uh, I, I get. I look for is, man, it just doesn't seem like y'all. It seems like you just roll it out there and let them go. That to me is a compliment because that's not what we do. And if it looks that way, that means we've made it. We've made something really hard look really easy. Well, you know that, and there's uh, you know simplicity uh, sometimes is complex. You know, you know you Always get. People- you know, and a lot of times, you know, if, if your players are playing right and the, and the way you want them to play, even though you know it's simple, they know it's simple, that opposing coach doesn't know it. They, they're, they're thinking, God, you know, what have, what have we got to do here? You know, and, and, and so, yeah, that, that absolutely. So, so what are, you know, I know, uh, you know, you're big with, um, you know, you, you follow all the Arkansas sports I know and, and uh, you know, at the university and, and I, I'm sure you go by and you watch, you know, the men's team practice or you watch the football team practice or baseball or whatever. You know, what, what do you learn by watching some of those other coaches and watching some of those other sports practice? The things I like to look at are organization. That's why I love football. Uh, you know, to get 11 people on the same page, you know, you have to, you have to have – you know, split wide banana twist, whatever. You know, John Green used to you spider right banana twist. I, I love to hear the language that they yeah. use to communicate. I I love watching the football coaches over there holding up the signs and oh yeah, what yeah. they do. Some of it I know is fake and some of it's real, but I, I'm just fascinated by the way they can get 11 people on the same page. Yeah. Uh, when I, when I go watch Coach Van Horn, the, the thing he's so masterful at is is keeping his guys uh, so razor sharp competitive. Uh, you know, they didn't lose a series all year last year until the Super Regionals, and that's just in baseball is unheard of. We also have a track coach in Lance Harder who's won, you know, like 43 SEC championships. Yeah. He's been the yeah. SEC coach of the year. I, I go over and talk to him about just the way that he touches his players every single day, the way he communicates with them. Uh, you know, our soccer coach, Kobe Hill, they won back-to-back SEC championships. And I think they've won 11 or 12 straight games here. I didn't see what they did last night. I could be wrong about that. But um, if you haven't followed what our athletic director has done here, you know, we've only got 19 sports here. Uh, and uh, Only 19. But that's low. That's a yeah. low number. That's, I mean, most, you know, Stanford's got 31 and Ohio State's got 33 or something like Texas has got 30. We, we've only got 19. We have this the lowest of any team in the SEC, I think. I think, I think uh, Vanderbilt's got 19, too. But anyway, I tell you that to tell you that 15 of our 19 teams have been ranked in the top 10 within the last calendar year. Wow. And that does not happen unless you've got coaches that are all pulling for each other. We've got, 
you know, there, there is, I, and I've been on a lot of campuses where that's not the case, but our athletic director has really done that through connection and communication with us. He makes us all feel so vitally important to what's going on, on our campus. You know, we're an incredibly small state when it comes to the people that we compete against. So we've got to stick together. Sure. Um, and, and I do learn from every single one of them, whether it's, you know, how they, how they, uh, how they travel. You know, we, I picked my, the soccer coach. That's who, you know, when we were doing this whole, uh, the, the COVID thing, you couldn't be next to somebody for more than 15 minutes. Well, every 15 minutes on the flight, they were moving seats. Was like, yeah. that's genius. <laughs> yeah. I learned it from him and we shared it. We go all the way through. And, um, you know, to me, if you're hoarding information, you know, if you're not out there sharing it, then you're just storing it. So share it with everybody you can. And our coaches are so good about that. Uh, and you can learn from golfers. You can learn from tennis players. You can learn from every single sport. And, and when our players see our coaches be that way, then they're that way. They're that yeah. way in the training room and at the training table and on community service events. And, um, you know, I, I think sometimes places talk about being a, a family. And then there's other places that go out and do it. And when you get to a place that does it, um, and it, it's, it, you don't want to lay anybody down either. You yeah. know, you don't want to be that team that's not ranked or d- doesn't go to the NCAA tournament. <laughs> so, uh, there's, there's so many things to learn from. You can learn from, from every aspect. You can learn from your cheer, your cheer coach, your drill team, your band. Um, that, that is, they're all teams of some sort. Um, you know, basketball is unique. We, we've, we've got our unique features, but, uh, other sports that, that have theirs as well, and, and we can learn from it. Sure. Well, have, have you learned how to do the Sam Pittman yells uh, that he does? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've heard him do it. I, I, I love to turn on the damn jukebox. That's my favorite one. Turn <laughs> the damn jukebox on. Uh, that's that's after a big win, and, and I'm a music lover. He's a music lover. Oh, uh, Coach Bus is a big music lover, so we share a, a love of music uh, when it comes to that. But yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, pulling for, I mean, coach Pittman, what he's done here in a very brief, brief time. Um, we, we all need football and, and men's basketball to be, to be good on our campuses. I don't, anybody that poo poos that and starts asking for more than, than what we get sometimes needs to, we've got to understand the economics of this. This is football mm-hmm. and men's basketball take make up about 85% to 95% of most campuses revenues. Um, and you can embrace that without still, you know, keeping your, 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 your program in an equitable situation. Sure. Quality is hard, but we get equity. We get treated equitably. And, and that's what I'm out there constantly striving for, for our teams with the understanding that the more people we have at that football stadium, the better chance we have of being able to stay the extra night or take a little bit bigger plane when we go to Connecticut. And yeah. those things have trickled down and, you know, I'm from Arkansas. I, I, I've loved the Razorbacks since the day I was born. So I, I take it a little bit harder. That two-point conversion, I was up in my seat at the Ole Miss game this week. Uh, you know, I'm looking forward. I don't think we play Tennessee this year. Uh, in fact, I know we don't, but yeah, yeah. Uh, they're, they're having an awfully good year. They're fun to follow right now. Maybe I think the only, I don't think we'll play any, any possible way we would play them. But the SEC, we all know we all know how, how competitive and uh, it's uh, – if I'm not learning from those guys, then I'm missing a golden opportunity right underneath my nose. Well, and uh, yeah, you absolutely are. And, and of course, the SEC is going to get a little more, you know, uh, yeah. impressive here in a couple of years with uh, Texas, Oklahoma coming in. Right. And, uh, 
Uh, it just makes your job a lot easier that way, doesn't it? Does it? I don't, I'm not sure. You'll have to you'll have to send me some text messages on how it makes it easier. Yeah, well, I, I'll think of something, you know. <laughs> you know but, Wouldn't uh, want it any other way, though. Let's Absolutely. You, know, hey, you, can win, you can win in this league. You can win it all. So that's what you that's what you strive for. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and here's the thing, you know, football, basketball, men's basketball, women's basketball. It's it's a who's who of coaches, you know. <laughs> And, uh, and, you know, you're just sitting back, you know, me, I mean, every, every coach can just flat out coach, you know, there's nobody that's the weak link, yep. you know, and it's just who, you know, it really is how your kids play and, and how you prepare them uh, week in and week out, day in and day out. Uh, that, that means the, you know, wins or losses and, uh, and there'll be, uh, there, there's just, uh, it, you know, it's, it, there's no nights off, I guess is what I'm trying no. to say. There's yeah. not, and you know, that, you talk about walking into that first head coaches meeting, looking around and going, okay, there's our Olympic coach. Okay. There's coach Blair. He's in the hall of fame. There's Vic. He's been to back to back national championships. There's Holly Warlick. There's all, you know, you're like going, okay. You know, and it, it, it again, I, I referenced Papa neighbors too much, but he always said, if you walk in the room and you can't spot the chump, you're yeah. the chump. Yeah. And yeah. that's what I felt like. I mean, it was like, okay, you okay. have stepped into, um, you know, a, a, a a cauldron that makes you better. If not, you get lost and you get, uh, get passed up and you get shot by. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't want it any other way. It is, uh, it, it, you hit the ground running every day. You don't want to be that. You don't have to be the fastest antelope, but you better not be the last one. You better you know, be the one that's drinking that. Than... Hey, you better be the one that's getting that Red Bull, right? So, uh, that's right. That's right. And, uh, hey, so, uh, last couple of questions here, Mike, and, and we appreciate you being on with us and uh you know who who are maybe some of the coaches that you study on on the men's and the women's side right now that you you just like what they do and how they approach things who, who are some of the ones that you look for well i always uh, i started following buzz williams back uh when he was at marquette and all into his virginia tech days and and now at a and m just just the way that he um he makes people feel um you know he is uh, he shares, he's willing to share. He puts himself out there. You know, he, he's not doing it in a, in a braggadocious way. He's doing it in a, in a learning sharing. Uh, he's, he's a great follow. They don't win every game. You know, they don't win every game and that's why we don't either, but I, I want to try to win every game and he tries to too. And when they don't, he's got, you know, he, he, he shoulders the blame and he grows from it. He learns from it. So, I follow him an awful lot. And there's a guy on the West coast too, named Wayne Tinkle, mm -hmm. uh, who's at Oregon state. And, and I, I got to know him a little bit during my days at Washington. And you just, you look at a guy who took a job, Oregon state wasn't at that point in time, they were at the bottom of the league and he, he's just battled and battled and battled. And, and, and last year they had such a great year. So fun to follow. Um, and, and then on the women's side, I, I've watched what Jeff walls does an awful lot. Mm -hmm. uh, I think he's been on the cutting edge of a lot of things that uh, he's always had teams that, that can beat the best teams in March. Um, I'm starting to watch him a little bit more because we're starting to get, he's always had really, you know, depth of talent. We probably got as much depth of, of talent as we've ever had. So I'm really following him a lot more. Mm -hmm. um, and I've got a friend on the West coast and Corey close. I like mm -hmm. to watch what she does. I think her kids play incredibly hard for her. And then a former assistant of mine is the idea Barnes at Arizona. Yep. Uh, we grew up, she, we shared, uh, we were both assistants together for Kevin McGuff 
Uh, we shared a lot of moments together as an assistant. And then when I got to be a head coaching job, she was, I was fortunate enough for her to be able to stay on for a couple of years uh, as an assistant coach for me. And then, you know, when we went to the final four, she, Arizona, her home, her alma mater called her and yeah, she yeah. just took them to the national, the national championship game last year. Yeah, so yeah. I'm gonna, I've got a watchful eye on them because obviously what she's doing, she's, she's doing it right. And, and it's a good barometer for me, but you know, I, I do, I study every coach. I, I study leaders in, in all types of industry. I, I study musicians that find ways to be anybody that exemplifies excellence. I'm trying to pick up one or two things from them. Yeah. Uh, whether it's in the way they they lead or the way they follow you know i think sometimes we all read too many leadership books and we don't <laughs> don't become a good follower you yeah. know there's, I, i'm a follower i i've, I've got to be a good teammate for all the coaches on my campus i've got to be a i've got to be a good follower of what my athletic director and my sport administrator says and if, if i'm not a good follower i got no chance to be a good leader so anybody that's out there that's that's having excellence in whatever they're doing I'll, I'll try to dig deep and research and find out, you know, True. how it's happening and what, cause it's not by accident. You know, this, it doesn't happen at the highest level uh, by sheer luck. You can have some lucky things happen to you. You can get a lucky bay break. You can get a lucky bounce. You can get a lucky this, that, and the other, but, but you don't sustain that for any period of time with luck. Well, uh, and I think you said, you know, you pick up one or two things that you can take, you know, and it may, you know, you may not use it this year, but two or three years down the road and you've got that team that you, you know, you, you, you got the player that you need to push a button, you know, you need to, you know, you need to reach them and then it, it clicks back to you. And it's, you know, and I've always said, we're going to go to coaching clinics. You know, if I pick up one or two things, one, oh, or two, you know, yeah. then it's a win for me. And uh, you know, I, I remember, you know, years ago and when I was first into high school coaching, uh, I used to go watch Kevin O'Neill yeah. at Tennessee, you know, and, and Kevin was great. He loved high school coaches and he loved, you know, you coming to practice. Cause he, you know, now part of that was he wanted to show out, but sure. the other part of that was, was, you know, he was a hell of a defensive coach, maybe yeah. one of the best ever. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so when I started going to watch watching his practices, I literally took everything he did defensively and put it into my system. And it was amazing how quickly we started winning and uh, you know, and so uh, you know, and, and, and I still uh, to this, you know, till I got out of coaching uh, used everything that he did defensively in my man to man, you know, yep. and that was uh, you know, that was after 25 years, sure. you know, well, that's, so, that's the key to it. You know, if y'all you need to get Bob Starkey on here and talk to Bob sometime, he's a great share. One of the oh, yeah. great sharers of the game. He's down at Auburn now with coach Harris, but, he tells a great story about being taken to watch two separate practices back to back days. He went to watch Bobby Knight and he went to watch Denny Crum at Louisville. And, you know, the, the, he, Bob Knight was his idol and he was just how regimented he was and how on time they were. And everybody was tucked in. Everybody did exactly what he said and everybody echoed. And Bob was taken down. The, then they, this, I, I, it may have been his dad. I don't know if his dad or a former coach took him, but they went to Louisville the next day and, you know, coach players came dragging in. They didn't have their shirts tucked in. Coach came out a little bit late. As, you know, they blew a whistle and they did dawdled around. And he didn't think practice was so good. Well, they played the next week and Louisville beat his idol by about <laughs> like 30 points. You know, so there's so many different ways. And I think that's what make this, makes this great game so great. 
you yeah. you can have a good program you can have an ex you can have excellence a lot of different ways but the one common thing it comes back to is is we we take what others have done and we make it our own yeah you know, absolutely i can't do everything my idols do i can't i they we can only do the things that, that we do the best and and give us the best chance that is the one common i think there's lots of other things but the common thing that every team, every person, every program, every that has excellence is they, they had a very, very clear understanding of what the outcome was supposed to look like. Mm. And, and they went about it a way that only they could. So yeah. that may, I, I call it the curse of the clinic. There's two of them. Yeah. The curse of the clinic is listen to what we talked about tonight and try to do it all. And yeah. the other, the other curse is to go, Oh, well, I can't do that. Cause I didn't have Kelsey plum or yeah. I don't have, yeah. <clears throat> that's the other curse. You don't do any of it. Mm -hmm. You take exactly what you just said, Bruce, and, and you, yep. you fit what needs you at that time. And if you're fortunate enough to get called back to coach another year, it might be five, six years down the line that that thing becomes what is most important. But yeah. And, you know, I, I can still remember a lot of coaches, you know, with coach Knight. you know, they always wanted, it was almost like they'd go try to be coach Knight. you know, and I always said that if you're, you know, if you're, uh, if you're trying to be someone else's identity, you have no identity, you know, and, and uh, you, you got to be who you are and you take those tidbits and I've taken some Mike neighbors tidbits and some Bobby Knight tidbits, right. Tom Izzo and, and Pat summit. And, you know, and tried to mesh it all together into what my philosophy was. And I think that's the way you got to go about things. You do. And, and the last thing, anybody that's still listening to us and we've been on here, I know, but <laughs> if you have a philosophy, write it down. Because if you've just got it in your head, you don't really have it yet yeah. until you have to put it onto paper and then share it with somebody. You don't have it yet. Mm -hmm. You don't have it yeah. until you're forced to lead and answer and have a, have a reason, not an answer, but a reason for everything you do. You know, people give me a hard time because I rank my top thousand movies and my top thousand songs, my top thousand TV shows. <laughs> but the reason I do that is because I want it to be right. Yeah, yeah. I, I want somebody to say, "Hey, what's your favorite TV show?" And I can say West Wing. Yeah. I don't go, um, no, it's the West Wing. It's number one, and yeah. here's why, and here's yeah. what's number two, and here's what's number three, all the way down to a thousand. Yeah. Because now, if they say, "Well, what do you want on offense?" I want a good shot. I want a great shot by one of our great shooters. I've researched that too, mm -hmm. and we've prioritized and we've thought it through. But until you can put it down on paper, or or on you know some other cool text it or whatever you're doing and then share that with somebody it's really not yours yet it's yeah. not yours until you've made it yours so make it yours put it down in writing mm -hmm. share it with somebody get holes poked in it um and and then that will tell you what you you need to improve on what you need to continue to do better um uh, and your philosophy should probably be ever-changing you can yeah. keep your your tenets or your pillars or your core values or whatever anybody wants to call it you can stay true to all that, but if, if you're not constantly trying to improve what you're doing, um, man, that's, again, loud leave you with Papa neighbors. If, you know, if fruit only gets ripe to a certain point, and then after that, it's rotten. So you better keep ripening uh, because hey. after that, you start stinking and nobody wants any part of you. Yeah, Papa Neighbors, pretty smart guy. He's right? the smartest, smartest guy I ever knew that had an eighth grade education, that's for sure. <laughs> Wisdom.
there's a difference between wisdom and knowledge. That's for sure. Dadgum right. Well, you know, I've, I've always said prepare and adjust, and you got to be able to do both of those. And, and, yep. uh, you know, and that that's so important as coaches. So, uh, well, coach, uh, I want to thank you for uh, joining God. us on the locker room podcast and uh, man, we'll, we'll uh, get you back sometime and, Maybe after after the season, kind of re, yeah. re, redo everything. So, yeah, we uh, and uh, well, Mike, thank you so much, and we appreciate it. Okay, man. All right, thank All you. Right. Good luck. Good luck, everybody.